Uh, welcome back, everyone. I'll do my little greeting again. Welcome back, and if it's possible to have your video on, that's um, appreciated. It's nice to be able to see people as we um, explore together. I'll be continuing today with the theme from last time, which uh, came out of my four weeks on retreat in March, especially. This is uh, the emphasis on seeing daily life and finding daily life more and more as, in a sense, sacred. You know, we have to find the language that works for each of us as sacramental, as for some of us, we might use the language of this is part of my journey of awakening. It's part of my coming to deeper values, being more and more prominent in my lives, wisdom or love or whatever language we use, however we frame it. And I think it's very important that it gets uh, framed personally. So exploring this theme of how we can have this sense of uh, daily life as not simply the routine, the habitual, the coming back to, um, you know, coming back to complete the to-do lists or whatever. And so this is what, this is what we'll explore. And I, I first want to do a brief review of what we looked at last time and then take us a little bit further by naming several ways of uh, deepening this sense of daily life as sacred. And then we'll have, uh, I'd like to have a, a good period of time for discussion because the invitation last time was especially to explore personally in the last week how this sense of daily life as sacred or as sacramental comes alive for you, what, uh, what's helpful. And again, I'm, I'm using different language. Uh, um, sacramental is a word that's more there in the Christian tradition, but it comes from uh, words that would be translated as something like a, a sacred oath. And the very word uh, for sacred is a translation from, uh, into Latin from the word in the original Greek for mystery. You know, so, so already we have the sense of mystery and sacred. And I mentioned how, you know, in, how this is looked at in different traditions. In um, Christian tradition, there is an explicit sense in many parts of the Christian tradition of a sacrament, a, a kind of a ritual, which in itself uh, is said to touch the sacred. And this was, you know, found in baptism or the Eucharist and, and so forth. And I, but I, you know, I think I mentioned with probably personally a little more interest, the perspective of Christian contemplatives. I mentioned last time uh, uh, Brother Lawrence, who had that sense of uh, uh, engaging, he said, in one single act, which does not end, you know, that he could lift a straw, and this would be connecting with the love of God. You know, and I, I looked through uh, the Christian contemplative who's uh, really had the most influence on me, uh, Thomas Merton, you know, who was uh, uh, a monk at the Abbey of Gethsemane in uh, Kentucky, uh, not so far from Louisville, Kentucky. And I, I go to that monastery typically once a year and stay there for a little bit. And um, Merton, uh, you know, had a lot of bridges between East and West, really, you know, probably the foremost Christian contemplative of the 20th century, 
And I, lo I looked through his writings and I found, you know, writings which have that sense of the daily life process as connecting with the sacred. So I wanted to read from one of them. Uh, just, uh, uh, this is from his book, uh, New Seeds of Contemplation. And this is a short passage. He says, the world and time are the dance of the Lord in emptiness. It sounds a little bit Buddhist. Maybe he was influenced by Buddhism. The world and time are the dance of the Lord in emptiness. The silence of the spheres is the music of a wedding feast. We are in the midst of it, and it is in the midst of us, for it beats in our very blood, whether we want it or not. We are invited to cast our awful solemnity to the winds and join in the general dance. <laughs> How does that sound? So his metaphor is the general dance, that is, the dance of the Lord in emptiness. Well, that's, that's something. And I mentioned also from the uh, Jewish tradition, the, uh, uh, the way that in some of the Hasidic traditions the, this comes out, that uh, one teacher has said, I went to my teacher not to hear the teachings, but to see how my teacher uh, tied shoelaces. Right? That's another, another aspect of this. Or I found also, in, I, I mentioned in the Buddhist tradition, this is probably most prominent in the Zen tradition. And I, I went and looked, uh, wonderful, wonderful book, uh, The Poetry of Ryokan. There's a book called One Robe, One Bowl. He was, Ryokan was a hermit. I'll read just one short passage of his poetry. The rain has stopped. The clouds have drifted away. The weather is clear again. If your heart is pure, then all things in your world are pure. The moon and flowers will guide you along the way. Whoa. So quite, uh, quite wonderful. And I had mentioned from the uh, Thai forest tradition from Achan Cha. Everywhere you look is the Dharma. Constructing a building, walking down the road, sitting in the bathroom, here in the meditation hall, all of this is Dharma. When you understand correctly, there is nothing in the world that is not Dharma. So how do we develop that perspective, which is a beautiful way of having daily life come more alive? And I mentioned last time how we have the danger, I would say, in the insight meditation tradition of overemphasizing meditation. You know, you know, partly because there are many historical reasons for this, and it's complex, but we can sometimes uh, de-emphasize daily life. We might, you know, I mentioned last time, it's a common way to talk for people to say, how's your practice going? Really good, I'm doing 20, 30 minutes a day, right? Well, that's meaning formal meditation, but we want to have that bigger picture. So how do we, how do we have that? Um, and last time I looked at, you know, how do we have just ordinary experience? Uh be seen as part of awakening. You know, I mentioned how there are different ways to do it, and we want to see what works for each of us. One way might be to really see the ordinary activities as a kind of sacrament. You know, that when I cook a meal, I'm nourishing myself because to develop love and wisdom, to awaken... I need to be nourished. I need to have my rest. I need to see all the different aspects of daily life as not separate from my deeper values, but increasingly connected. And so we're, we're looking for ways that support us. And it can be a slow process because 
our habits are deep, right? Our habits are, are strong. You know, here's, um, here's a poem which I like a lot from uh, Anne Sexton. This is a poem just really seeing daily life as sacred. This is a poem called Welcome Morning. There is joy in all, in the hair I brush each morning, in the cannon towel new newly washed that I rub my body with each morning, in the chapel of eggs I cook each morning, the outcry from the kettle that heats my coffee each morning, in the spoon and chair that cry, hello there, Anne. <laughs> each morning in the godhead of the table that I set my silver plate, my silver plate cup upon each morning. All this is God right here in my pea green house each morning, and I mean, though often forget to give thanks, to faint down by the kitchen table in a prayer of rejoicing as the holy birds at the kitchen window peck into their marriage of seeds. So while I think of it, let me paint a thank you on my palm for this God, this laughter of the morning, lest it go unspoken. This joy, the joy that isn't shared, I've heard, dies young. So taking all these different activities in, in that way, helping others, uh, being of use, sharing the Dharma, you know, even what we're doing right now is something that's been repeated millions and millions of times, sharing our teachings and practices with the intention of going deeper. We can connect. We can have that sense. This isn't just one meeting on May 17th, 2023, but we're linked with all the other similar kinds of meetings that have gone on for thousands of years, right? That can give some support. And then I also looked at what gets in the way. What gets in the way of having that perspective? You know, and we could each look at what gets in the way. I mentioned busyness or sometimes being caught with anxiety or fear or concern, um, anything which closes our heart, um, you know, even the way we, we structure time, trying to get somewhere, trying to have something happen, get, you know, to do something. Another poem that I found from a poet named Rob Bell about this quality of slowing down really crucial for all this. So this is called Walk, Don't Run. Running and being aware is advanced practice. That's not the poem. That's my comment. <laughs> okay. Here's the poem. Walk, don't run. Walk, don't run. That's it. Walk, don't run. Slow down. Breathe deeply. And open your eyes, because there's a whole world right here within this one. The bush doesn't suddenly catch on fire. It's been burning the whole time. Moses is simply moving slowly enough to see it. And when he does, he takes off his sandals. <laughs> Not because the ground has suddenly become holy, but because he's just now becoming aware that the ground has been holy the whole time. Efficiency is not God's highest goal for your life. <laughs> Neither is busyness or how many things you can get done in one day or speed or even success, but walking, which leads to seeing. Now that's something. That's the invitation for every one of us today and every day in every conversation, interaction, event, and moment to walk, not run. And in doing so, to see a whole world right here within this one. It's a beautiful poem. Walk, don't run. Rob Bell. So we looked at some things which get in the way. We looked at some things which help. 
you know, you know, moments of gratitude or appreciation, being present, moments when the heart's open, maybe kindness, a moment maybe when we help another person or think of another person as we did in our short group practice just now. And I want to, uh, for the rest of the session, talk in a little more depth about uh, some further ways of opening to this sense of daily life as sacred, as uh, sacramental, whatever language we use, connecting our daily life more with our deeper aspirations, our sense of a journey of awakening. Again, So I'll come back and say a little bit more about what I was talking about earlier and what we explored in the meditation, having a moment of presence. This is what we cultivate in our formal meditation. It's really the ability to be present. And this is dependent on different aspects or different qualities that we, we develop. The stability that we develop in meditation, the further concentration, makes a big difference in the ability to be present because when there's concentration or samadhi, when that's there, we are not so caught in the automatic mind. You know, the ordinary automatic mind which can dominate our days, right? for good things, for things that are painful, whatever. It's not so much that that matters, but we, we in developing samadhi or concentration, we learn increasingly how to not be so caught by the conceptual mind, again, which has great value. And my talking is based on the conceptual mind and a lot of your listening is based on that. So I'm not criticizing it. I'm criticizing the tendency for its dominance and for the challenge that we all have of getting away from it at times, right? That's hard, right? Again, you know, probably many or most of us make or have made our livings through aspects of the conceptual mind, you know? And so it's valuable, but how do we not be dominated by it? A major factor is developing more concentration. That helps us be present. And when it gets strong enough, we can actually, you know, say to habitual thoughts, when it's wise to do, not now. Thank you. Down, doggy. Not now. <laughs> right, something like that. And so, and we can learn to pause. You know, I mentioned last time, what it would be like to have three or four three-minute pauses during the day. It's a beautiful way to practice. Doesn't obviously take a huge amount of time. That will help. Again, all of this is helpful, but the conditioning takes time. So we want to be, we want to be patient with all of this, you know. The Buddha is reported to have gone through many, many lifetimes before he awakened, you know, so we should have some patience for the next few weeks. <laughs> okay. So, so this is, this is huge. Uh, from, again, a quote from the Christian mystical tradition from Meister Eckhart. He said, be willing to be a beginner every single morning. Be present or... Suzuki Roshi, develop beginner's mind moment by moment. And again, I have found it helpful to bring in a sense of mystery. And I've often done this in formal meditation, much like we did earlier today in the guided practice of just inviting, saying, I don't know what's going to happen in this meditation. Let it be a mystery. Yeah. And particularly when we have some goal orientation. I know when I was, for example, practicing over a period of time, a lot of development of concentration, 
you know, it's a, it's a kind of practice where, especially when you do a retreat or do a lot of it, you can really have a goal orientation because there is a goal to be more concentrated. And at a certain point, for many of us, we can get stuck in that. And so I had to find ways to be full with my skillful effort, but not be too caught in the results, right? And so inviting mystery was a really helpful way of doing that. You know, I'm doing my best. Let me invite mystery. It's a way, again, of inviting presence and being not too caught in what we think should happening should happen. Another way that we can, I think, uh, have that quality of daily life as sacred be more present is by accessing joy more. You know, by touching the joy that's there and sometimes inviting joy, knowing some small ways of inviting joy. And then again, a tremendous resource from my colleague James Barres, uh, who has his book Awakening Joy and teaches a lot on that, all sorts of methods of inviting joy. But there can be, when we have that sense of moment-by-moment daily life as connected with my awakening, my development of love, whatever language we use, with the sacred, there's a natural joy that can be there, even if we're going through something difficult. I think I mentioned last time uh, a really important experience, but I want to mention it again, which is that I I was uh, on a retreat. It was quite a while ago, at least 10 or 15 years ago. I was on a retreat, and one particular morning, I didn't feel good. My body hurt. My mind was not at all quiet. I was irritable. I hadn't slept well. And I felt joy. (laughs) Just for whatever was happening. Right? It was, whoa, that's interesting. I said, whoa, that, you know, that, there's something here, right? Right, that uh, I think it was the joy just by, it was the bigger picture. It was the joy of being part of this process of learning and awakening. And for me, being on retreat, which I love, there was something there, which I didn't invite it. There was no intentionality here. It just happened, right? And I said, whoa, there's, there's a joy with the process, even though I'm actually, what, everything I'm experiencing is relatively unpleasant. You know, it wasn't hugely unpleasant, but it was moderately unpleasant, right? And that was interesting. And then we can, we can have that sense of, of joy. Um, a poem from the Islamic tradition. I think I'm giving more poems than usual today, which, which I like. This is a poem from the 14th century um, Sufi mystic, um, Hafez. This is called Tripping Over Joy. And I think it relates directly to our, our exploration. What is the difference between your experience of existence and that of a saint? The saint knows that the spiritual path is a sublime chess game with God. Again, using using the language of, uh, of God here in the, in the Islamic tradition. The spiritual path is a sublime chess game with God and that the beloved has just made such a fantastic move that the saint is continually tripping over joy and bursting out in laughter and saying, I surrender. Whereas, my dear, I am afraid you still think you have a thousand serious moves. Okay, in the chess game with God. Okay, so so developing that sense of joy, um, very, very interesting. And, you know, what one finds is that there can even be joy at times when there's a certain perspective in very difficult or intense situations, you know, you know, one author who's influenced me a lot is uh, Etty Hillisum, who was uh, 
a young woman living in Amsterdam during World War II. She was Jewish. She started a journal in 1941 with the Nazi occupation. Eventually, she was um, murdered in Auschwitz. But she kept this journal and she, for a time, lived in Amsterdam under occupation. And she wrote a book, which was, or she took, she kept this journal, later published as the book, An Interrupted Life. And some of it was written in Amsterdam. Some of it was written at a transit camp, still in the Netherlands. I think there were also letters that were written uh, that were tossed out of the train going to the, the camps. This is what she wrote when she was in a transit camp, you know, which reflects the, the process she went through, chronicled by the journals, was a process of awakening. This is what she wrote. And there was joy even in these really um, horrible situation. Her words, the misery here is quite terrible. And yet late at night, when the day has uh, slunk away into the depths behind me, I often walk with a spring in my step along the barbed wire. And then time and again, it soars straight from my heart. I can't help it. It's just the way it is, like some elementary force. The feeling that life is glorious and magnificent, and that one day we shall be building a whole new world. Against every new outrage and every fresh horror, we shall put up one more piece of love and goodness, drawing strength from within ourselves. So even in that very extreme situation, there's, there's joy. Or I, I also think about the, um, you know, the African-American blues, where there's um, I think Cornell West said it something like this, where there's, there's a singing about what's hard with a smile on their lips. Right? There's something there that, that we find at times, you know, coming you know, from, you know, the blues coming from the end of the 19th century and the 20th century. A further way, which is really, really important, to have this sense of the sacred in daily life, which is a powerful one, related to some of what I've said, is to understand the nature of what we can call internal purification. That a lot of our learning, particularly the transformation of what is difficult, can be understood as a beautiful process, even though it's often very hard. And in my work with people, I find it really, really crucial and helpful to have that larger framing. You know, when I've worked with people who are healing from trauma, or, you know, for example, trauma from what happened in childhood, or working through repetitive negative limiting beliefs, you know, I'm not okay, or some kind of self-harsh uh, self-judgment. At a certain point, it becomes possible to see that when some of, the, some of our wounds are brought to the surface, they're actually on their way towards being healed. But it's hard to remember this in the process of the difficulties, of the emotional ups and downs. And so I know part of my role when I work with people at times is to remind the person of a bigger picture. You know, again, we can use different language. I, I, we might use the language of the purification process. We have to transform our wounded territory, and this often is painful, but when we have actually brought this to the surface, rather than have it be unconscious, where for most of us that's been the case for decades, 
I would say it's more than 50% on its way out. And holding that perspective, how do we hold the perspective? This difficulty that I'm going through is not who I am and who I will always be, but it's part of a larger process of awakening. How do we do that? That's uh, not always easy. And sometimes it's very helpful to have friends or mentors or teachers to say that, but that's a very crucial aspect of taking daily life as sacred, of seeing ways that we can uh, that we can see a difficult process as having a sacred dimension. Not easy. In other words, uh, not simply a problem, not simply a curse. And I think I have another. I actually have uh, a quotation and then another poem. The, the quote is from uh, Mark Nepo. He says, There are waves of stillness and peace that wait in the spaces of our agitation and fear. There are ways of stillness and peace that wait in the spaces of our agitation and fear. We can sometimes find this in our meditation. You know, when we stay with something difficult, and it's in the workable range, maybe I stay with anger or fear, and I stay with it long enough, so it actually opens up to something else. Where my fear opens up to a larger awareness that can hold it and not be dominated by it. Or, you know, maybe our anger opens up when we stay with it a while to sadness. And then sometimes the sadness can open up to love. Right? That when we actually stay with even difficult states, we can touch our deeper nature. This is the poem from uh, James Cruz. At the center of every fear is a clearing. And though you must trudge for miles in the dark woods to get there, it's worth the trip. Now you can sit down for a while among grass and hawkweed. You can bask in unfiltered light and see the heavy clouds shifting overhead. At the center of every fear have felt completely is an empty space where the wind tickles the hairs on your neck, then arcs an arm around your shoulder, putting you closer, pulling you closer like a father, at last unafraid to show affection, here to let you know you're not alone. So that's another way, it's not easy. And I think we can work with our smaller challenges or smaller difficulties. But if there's something, you know, again, I'm thinking of working with people, you know, who have, you know, I think of one person who I've worked with for 10 years. The trauma is very familiar. It comes back with certain triggers, but it's well known. And, but still there's the, challenge of sometimes being caught up in it and sometimes and or sometimes thinking oh this is going to go on forever you know negative thoughts related to it and so just very helpful to either hear from another person or remember oneself this is part of a larger process of purification it's really about in a way having faith that awakening is deeper than the wounds that's a simple way to say it our love, our wisdom, are deeper than our difficulties. And we, you know, we don't always know that. We don't always see that. Maybe a last one I'll mention is to embrace the unknown and the mysterious as itself sacred. We can do that again by very simply starting a meditation 
remembering that moment by moment this is all mysterious. We don't know what will happen. Bring that sense of mystery in more. And bring that also into things which are not worked out in one's life. You know, this is mysterious. This, uh, this question which I have, you know, the direction that I'll take for this period of time or some larger issue, really to embrace it as a mystery that might also take one deeper. You know, from the poet uh, Rilke, this is from Letters to a Young Poet, that Rilke wrote this letter when he was 29 years old. He was an old poet. <laughs> the young poet was like 18 or 19. Rilke said, have patience with everything that remains unsolved in your heart. Try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books written in a foreign language. Do not now look for the answers. They cannot now be given to you because you could not live them. It is a question of experiencing everything. At present, you need to live the question. Perhaps you will gradually, without even noticing it, find yourself experiencing the answer some distant day. I think I'll finish with uh, another poem. that brings together a few of these things. This is a poem by Denise Levertov. Marvelous truth, confront us at every turn, in every guise, iron ball, egg, dark horse, shadow, cloud of breath on the air. Dwell in our crowded hearts, our steaming bathrooms, kitchens full of things to be done, the ordinary streets. Thrust close your smile that we know you, terrible joy. Truth confront us at every turn that we may know you, joy. Let's sit quietly for a moment and reflect on what may have been helpful to you, what may have resonated, what comes up for you, some of your intentions, reminders of maybe what you explored in the last week. Maybe reflecting on some ways that were helpful for you to have a sense of some aspect of daily life as, in a way, sacred or sacramental or whatever language you use. Maybe reflecting on what you found in the last week or what comes to mind now that you might like to even to share. We'll just take another minute or two to reflect quietly.
So let's come back to the whole group and I wanted to share uh, one story that I, I forgot to tell. Uh, I was talking with uh, someone yesterday and she is working to remodel her kitchen. And we looked into the sense of remodeling as in a way recreating her world. Could she have a sense that I'm recreating my here my kitchen in a way that I want to connect it with my love, with the process of awakening, that this is in a way a sacred process. I'm reconstructing my world. And she, she got into it. She really said, okay, remodeling as one, uh, you know, can really say, oh, this is something I'm not just, I'm not just, you know, completing my to-do list. I'm really giving care with the remodeling. And most deeply, can I connect this? This is, um, you know, she's taking care with the colors, the, you know, the substances and so forth. Can I see this as really recreating part of my world in a way that will support my deeper values? That's, you know, that's a very concrete way that she, she totally resonated with the sense of uh, that being like a sacred process of remodeling, you know. So, uh, and then even how we look at our home, this is, I, I thought I'd give a quote from, that I also forgot to read from Utejaniya. He said, think of your home as a retreat center or, or something like that, or a monastery. Begin by altering the way you see your home. When you begin to view your home in the same way that you view a meditation center, your practice will become smoother. Keep checking your attitudes and views, your thinking, and your background ideas. So I wanted to bring in particularly that uh, story about remodeling. Because the Buddha, to the best of my knowledge, never talked about remodeling in his Dharma talks. But important for us to do that. Okay, so let me invite any any sharing, maybe from the last week, or a question, or uh, any anywhere you'd like to go. Okay, uh, Vivian first. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, oh, I have a lot to say, but I'm going to limit down. I always have to kind of start talking before I start talking. Sorry. Um, okay, so the, this talk over these last few weeks has been meaningful to me, but I just want to mention that these words, sacred and sacrament, I've been trying week after right. week to see if it has a meaning to me. It doesn't. It, it yeah. only reflects to me a knowledge of Christian, some part of Christian culture. Okay. However, the word mystery yeah. totally relates. And I think everything that I've been learning about Buddhism, it's it's all a mystery. Yeah. There's so many levels and ways to interpret everything, all the teachings. It, it, it's just wonderful. Um, okay, so my point, the mystery, I had been thinking about all of this talk about how we're all connected, but I still see us as all separate human beings walking around in the world. And then I had a vision. I don't know if this is just my own personal vision, but I thought about fish in the sea. They're in the sea, but they don't know they're in the sea. That That's where they are. But if I see them in an aquarium, I don't really see them as separate fish. I see them living in the sea of the aquarium, yeah. whether it's the big aquarium or the home aquarium. And then I realized we are all in air. We are all touching each other without noticing. The air is against us and that air is against the next person and that air moves around. And it was like, oh, that was a mystery to me. How are we all physically connected, because I kept hearing that too, not just the mental, emotional 
uh, meditative connection. And that was one mystery down, check, go to the next one. <laughs> yeah. Very good, Vivian. There, there's a lot there in what you shared, uh, uh, particularly uh, the point about language and then that sense of connection. So let me speak briefly about each of those. Uh, really important to see what kind of language works for you, right? And I think I've, I've mentioned that we want to find our own language and sacred or I think, you know, like for me, uh, particularly not having been raised Christian, um, sacramental does work for me pretty well. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> you know, but it might, uh, it's interesting to, to say that, right? Um, and sacred works pretty well, but for others it doesn't. But um, and so it'd be great even here to share the words that that do work. You know, maybe for you mystery works, and for others it might be this is necessary or part of my journey of awakening. That could work, right? To you know, to to have my meal, to clean up, to do this or that. It's part of the journey of awakening, right? It's part of the process of developing greater love or wisdom. So, again, maybe that language works for people where sacred or sacramental does not. So find, find one's own language, and it's great if we could even share more. So that's really crucial point. So thank you for that. And then having that, yeah, having ways of, you know, I mean, a lot of our practice is about going to experience beyond the sense of being separate and other, right? Beyond the model of subject and object or self and other, and finding ways to experience that. And I think we could say, you know, we can do that, you know, spatially as you've done with a sense of air. We could do it also in terms of time to know that, you know, my, to understand that uh, my cells are connected in time with the Big Bang, right? <laughs> right, and to reflect in that way. And we can do it with awareness that there we can connect, this is a deeper practice, but we can connect with a deeper awareness that holds everything, including space and time, including the uh, more mental, emotional, and the physical, right? So there's, uh, you know, with finding those, you know, ways to see the constructed separate self and go beyond is right at the center of our practice. And that, that also can, I think even the way you spoke about it, you know, having that sense of connection, that can invite that sense of mystery for you, right? When you have that sense of connection or if I reflect and, you know, reflect on my, my, my fingernail as being connected with the Big Bang, see? <laughs> You know, like Thich Nhat Hanh would say, can you see the Big Bang here? <laughs> you know, he says, you know, or he, Thich Nhat Hanh would hold up an orange and say, can you see the clouds in the orange? Right, and, and so forth. So anyway, thank you. Thank you, Vivian, for, for bringing that up, all the, all the points you made. Thank you. Let's go to uh, Barbara and then Carolyn. Hi. Um, I, I, I've just been having all these insights for the last few weeks and um, starting in my, my whole life really, but starting in my 20s, I have this book that I've had since the 60s. It's called Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. Oh, yeah. yeah, right? Old classic. At the time I picked it up and I just, I've had, I have it still with me. It's so worn out. Um, not coming from any Buddhist or Christian tradition, um, but something in this book, reading all these uh, koans and, uh, I don't know, just developing more and more a sense of wanting to be deeper, not having all those words for it, yeah. still still don't, but... As a, I've been a, a craniosacral practitioner for over 40 years, and I realized Zen flesh, Zen bones, most of my metaphors come from the body. Sac sacred for me works because sacrum. Yeah. 
the, the, the hub of the spine, the mystery of the of the the, the fluid in the body and how the spine the spinal fluid works. So I'm just having all these great insights of how that is my path. Who even knew? I didn't. I didn't have words for all of that. But today I'm just being very, very grateful for that, for this journey and uh, the mystery of the body, the mystery of the mind, the mystery of all of it. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. Yeah, I hadn't, <laughs> hadn't made the connection with the sacrum. That's great. <laughs> yeah, and I have. Uh, actually, I read from uh, Zen Flash Zen Dons last week. Oh, cool! You know, I had I had it here. I didn't didn't name the book, but I also have a, yeah. a so-called dog-eared copy from yeah. a long time I, ago. While while you were talking, I was looking around my room. I went, "Oh, I have this," and I brought it out. I'm going to start reading yeah. it again. Thank you. Thank, thanks, Barbara. And it looks like uh, Carolyn is next. Very briefly, um, mystery tickles my fancy. I love mystery. And one of the joyful mysteries I get, and it's only happened when I've been in a sangha with you as the teacher, I get downloads of these pop rock songs. Mm. The first was Joy to the World, All the Fishes in the Deep Blue Sea. And recently, a recent sangha that you led all, all God's children have a place in the choir. Mm -hmm. And once it's come in, it's pleasantly in me for the day, for the rest of the day. So I thank you for that. Yeah, thank, and I, thank you, Carolyn. Yeah, it also really brings up that way in which, uh, I, you know, I didn't mention so much. I, I used a lot of poetry, but I didn't mention so much music and art and the role of music. I mentioned music a little bit in terms of the blues and so forth, but ways that music itself can give us this sense of things, sense of, of joy and sense of, uh, I didn't use the word wonder, you know, I could also talk about wonder and awe. I think those really contribute, you know, what helps us develop wonder or awe, which you know, probably for most people is fairly neutral language. You know, uh, what helps develop wonder or awe, music, uh, some of the old, you know, the old songs, the old, you know, um, some of them religiously based, like, you know, maybe uh, songs around holidays or gospel or whatever, you know, can really invoke that sense of the uh, everyday wonder and awe of things. You know? Thank you, Carolyn. We have other other anyone wants to share something that maybe uh, came up for you in your own explorations and maybe in the last week something you noticed. Hey, uh, Victoria, please. Uh, this just came to me now um, when Carolyn was talking about uh, these songs. Um, my mother had a very 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 difficult life, and she had been raised in a um, in a Protestant. Um, very evangelical tradition. And so she learned a lot of hymns as a child. And she said that what got her through the difficult years when she was going through um, divorce and raising children by herself and on and on, um, she would just find these, these songs, which had, she had learned so young, they were kind of imprinted. She'd find that, that she would just start singing them and they would restore her confidence yeah, and her yeah, hope. Yeah. And, um, and then um, St. Augustine famously said, he who, I mean, obviously, <laughs> there's, the language all needs to be changed in our world now, but he had a famous saying, he who, pray, he who sings prays twice. Well, so the idea that, um, that music really is a, um, a medium through which we can get, have access to this joy and hope and all the positive virtues. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks very much, Victoria. Maybe uh, last person, George, please. Yes. Uh, Donald, could you say something about Tonglen? Uh, 
my understanding of it is that one can offer their particular experience or sufferings for other people. For example, I could be thinking of the people in Ukraine, and if I feel some difficulty sleeping or if I'm upset at something, I can think of the the grandmothers who've been displaced from their apartments or whatever. And I, so, so that's one example. Another is uh, a good friend of mine was, was dying and died actually last week, but I was offering things up for him, like making my bed. I'm thinking of George Crook was his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, weeding in the backyard. It's kind of fits in with brother Lawrence and doing little things, but it's kind of like, offering them up for other people. Could you say something about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tonglen, it's spelled T-O-N-G-L-E-N. It's a Tibetan practice, and probably you can find, I think you can find detailed accounts of it and instructions, particularly from the uh, uh, teachings of Pema Chodron. You know, Tibet, you know, uh, U.S. born teacher of Tibetan practice, uh, P-E-M-A-C-H-O-D-R-O-N. And so you can get, I'll, I'll be brief here, but you can have fuller instructions probably on her website. Um, these teaching is fairly simple and, you know, it, it really is linked. I didn't talk so much today about how the uh, heart practices and the opening of the heart can also very much uh, be ways of having a sense of the mystery and entering into things and not being an habitual mind. So uh, the instructions are very simple. I think there are three steps for Tonglen and could be helpful to do other meditation first. First, one... um, has a sense of the of open awareness. Just sort of the it's almost like the mystery of being or the the kind of you in her in Pema Trojan's language you have kind of a flash to uh, this open vast awareness. Number one. Number two, you uh, breathe in what's difficult or painful. And one can do it in a directed way, as you were doing it, with a particular being or a particular situation. I actually did Tonglen when my father was dying. So you can, you know, similar maybe to what you were experiencing. So you breathe in what's difficult. And then thirdly, you breathe out peace or relief or warmth or kindness. It's a very simple practice and can be sort of modified, but it has those three three steps. You know, first, opening to a kind of open awareness. Secondly, breathe in what's painful or difficult. Third, breathe, breathe out what's uh, what has more ease. So you can do it in just a few minutes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, George. Thanks for the question. And again, it could be linked with the way that heart practices can really be powerful for, um, you know, kind of taking us out of habitual mind, opening us up to what is mysterious, sacred, connected with awakening, whatever language we use. Let's close, as we usually do, in two ways. First, uh, bringing to mind what might have been helpful from today and any intentions that you have to continue this exploration or something else that really was important for you from from our time together. And then secondly, we, we end with the dedication of merit, traditional practice, really remembering, this is very much related to that way of 
of going beyond the the individual, you know, going beyond you know having that larger sense of connection. I think that uh, Vivian was talking about that we remember that we engage in this time together, yes, for ourselves and for our own awakening, but also to be of benefit and support others. And so we offer the benefits of our time together for the awakening of all beings, which includes, which includes us. So thanks everyone. Thanks Carlita. Yay Carlita. Yay Carlita. Good to see you. Yeah. Yes. And feel free to unmute as we, we say goodbye and thanks everyone and thanks for everyone sharing. It was rich and we could we could stay with this theme for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Thank you. And I'll be I think Thank I, you. I come I come back uh, next you. time I'm with the group is about four weeks from now, June fourteenth. So thank you. See you then. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Donald. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Donald. Thank you. Good to see everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. To be continued. And thanks, Carlita, again. Yeah, you're muted, Carlita, still. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.